I have always really loved Dr. Seuss, and in seminary life, for some reason, I don't get much opportunity to read The Cat in the Hat, or Horton Hears a Who, or How the Grinch Sold Christmas. But there is one story that has been on my mind, and some of you might have never actually heard of this before, and it's a little story called The Sneetches. And in this story, Dr. Seuss actually has two different people that are the star-bellied Sneetches that have stars on their belly, and the other Sneetches that have no stars on their belly. But because of this distinction, the star-bellied Sneetches would begin to actually think that they were the best Sneetches of all, until the other Sneetches were able to learn how they could get their own stars on their belly. And just hearing the story, you might immediately understand what Dr. Seuss is trying to tell us. He's saying, don't discriminate. Don't treat others or yourself as superior to the people that are different from you. Yet to a greater or lesser degree, we still can show this favoritism and partiality in ways that we don't even think about it. We show favoritism with the friends that we're around. We show favoritism with who we're willing to talk to. We even do it with who we're willing to associate with. All throughout history, we've actually seen this level of favoritism, even back in the Bible. We see the Jews that were distinct and set apart from the Gentiles. We see the God himself who actually would tell what was clean and what was unclean. And then God would go on and tell the Jews what they were allowed to eat and what they weren't allowed to eat. And God himself divinely selected the Israelites as his chosen people. But because of this distinction, the Jews, they began to separate themselves more and more beyond even what God had commanded in Scripture. It wasn't simply for religious reasons that they had, but actually their own culture began to teach them, and the Jews began to believe that it was sinful even to enter a Gentile's house or associate with them. God commanded the Israelites to remain clean and pure and undefiled, but the Israelites were actually separating themselves beyond even laws that God had established. Because of this cultural divide, we can see, clearly see in our text today this separation of the Jews and the Gentiles. In fact, Peter himself mentions this divide before our text in verse 28 when he says, you are well aware that it is against our laws for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Peter wasn't talking about some law back in Leviticus or Deuteronomy that God said you can't go to a Gentile's house and be around him. In fact, he was talking about the very cultural divide that was brought up between the Jews and the Gentiles that they made their own laws about separating themselves or even being around a Gentile. And it's understandable with the two different cultures, they had two different cultures, two different societies, two different backgrounds, and two different histories. But only a few verses before, in chapter 10, Peter had actually just received a vision from God, and God told him not to call anything impure, which God had called pure. Going beyond Peter's preconceived notions of what it means to be distinct, God began to break down this divisive behavior that Peter was showing between the Jews and the Gentiles. And with that, we get to our text today, and Peter has entered the house of a Gentile, Cornelius, and we immediately see the distinction between these two in chapter 10. 
we have a Gentile and a Jew with two different backgrounds, two different histories, two different cultures. But God has brought together these two men for one purpose that transcends all of their societal, cultural, or historical backgrounds. And that is the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. And that is why we can see in our first couple verses that Peter says in verse 34 and 35, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts everyone that fears him and does what is right. The good news is not just for a select people group, but it is actually for everyone now. But even with that, what has exactly changed in our scripture? Because it was God himself that separated the Gentiles and the Jews. He made that distinction to begin with. So what is it in scripture that has changed? Um, from the beginning, God is the one that made that distinction, but Peter goes on in the chapter to say exactly what has changed. Because he says, you know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the providence of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. So Christ coming to earth is what actually has broken down these cultural barriers, because it's no longer about where they come from or who they are, but it's by those that believe and put their trust in what Christ has done for them. Although there were two distinct cultural divides, Christ coming to earth and the gospel is now actually extended to everyone who believes. But it wasn't just Christ coming to earth that brought about this change. Because Peter goes on in verse 39 to say that we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on the cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, the gospel is not a question about who we are or where we come from, because the resurrection stands as the very focal point of all of history. Because Christ has died, everyone has open access to the gospel, and it's no longer our identity nationally or culturally or where we came from. It's about our trust that what Christ has done has saved us from our sins. Our identity is actually now found in Christ and his work rather than anything that we could do. But in your own life, you may still tend to follow this identity game. You might not immediately show it in the same way that is in our text, but our own hearts tend to show this level of favoritism in ways that we don't even imagine. Sometimes you might actually not want to be associated with people from a different socioeconomic position than yourself, and that actually counts whether you're rich or you're poor. Sometimes you might feel a little uncomfortable to be around people from different cultural backgrounds than yourself. And even on a political level, we have this tendency, 
especially in our culture today, where we treat people, whether they're a Republican or a Democrat, as less than ourselves. With every interaction that we have in our society today, we subtly create this level of favoritism that we don't even think about, and we either show it openly or we subtly and quietly demonstrate it with how we deal with the people around us. Yet in this passage, we see this divisive behavior is broken down by Christ's resurrection. Because God raised Christ from the dead, your identity is not found in where you are in society or where you are in life. Your identity is found in Christ and who he is and what he has done. But even with that reality, you may actively even understand that and fight to not be partial with the people around you. Yet, you may sometimes actually be inconsistent in that. And the interesting thing about that is we see this inconsistency of favoritism with Peter himself. Because later on in the book, we actually see in Galatians chapter 2 that Paul actually opposed Peter for this same exact thing, where Peter would separate himself from the Gentiles whenever the Jews would come along. So although he professes here in Acts chapter 10 that I know God doesn't show any partiality, he still continues to struggle with that in his own life. But the interesting thing about that passage is Galatians actually came after the book of Acts. So even though he understood the importance of not being partial, not showing favoritism, he would still struggle with that consistency himself. And in light of Galatians, we see what is so important about our text today, because the na very nature of the gospel is at stake. Because God has revealed the gospel to all people, because Christ himself has commanded us to go out and share this good news to every nation, because our identity is not found in who we are, but who Christ is and what he has done, we cannot demonstrate partiality just because people are different from us. The only way we can fight our own inconsistency is by remembering what the gospel has done for us. Because if the gospel had nothing to do with us in our own life, then the gospel has nothing to do with our neighbors and what they need to do as well. We must believe that this partiality is not extended just to our own select people group, but to everyone that puts their trust and faith in Christ and what he did. But although we see that our identity is not found in who we are, but in Christ, Christ's resurrection actually brings up a command for us in this passage. And that is found in verse 42, going on to the very end, when he says that he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The reality is this change of our identity actually gives us a command, because we are commanded to actually go out and share with people that we would normally have no association with. Christ himself, at the end of the book of Matthew, commands his disciples to go out to every nation and preach the gospel. But by believing that Christ has took the punishment for your sins, we have a gospel that we can actually bring to the people. But you may struggle in your own life to follow this command. 
you may say that I can, I, or you're open with sharing this gospel with your friends and the people that are close to you, but to actually go out and share it with people that you have no connection with is a completely different story. And you may even say to yourself, I'm more about building relationships with the people that are close to me, but those relationships never grow outside of your own personal friend group. We all feel this lack of comfort in going to share the gospel with people outside of, pe of our immediate friend group. And we are always tempted to say he couldn't possibly be interested in the gospel because he's just so different than me. And for some here, this honestly may be a question of racism for you. You may feel the same way that Paul did, and you don't feel comfort in connecting with people from a different race than yourself, or you may even make these subtle comments that no one hears about and you keep to yourself privately. And you may truly live the same way that Peter did or live inconsistently as he, we see later on in Galatians chapter two. But when we truly understand the nature of how God has saved us, our tendencies towards this favoritism begin to melt away because in reality, the truth is not a barrier of us versus them, but without the gospel, it's actually you versus God. Because we were all by nature children of wrath, following our own ways and sinning against a holy and righteous God. And if there was anyone ever to, had the right to show favoritism, it was God. Yet the Bible tells us that he was not under any obligation to save us, but the book of Romans chapter 8 tells, tells us that he did not spare his own son in saving us, but gave him up for us all on his behalf. God didn't pick favorites in saving you and sending his son to die on your behalf. So because of this chapter, because of all we see today, we are commanded to go out and share the gospel, not just with people that are immediately close to us, but even the people that we would have no commonality with, that are come from completely different backgrounds, completely different cultures, and completely different ways of thinking. And for those that have never realized that there is such a hope in the death and resurrection of Christ, this gospel today even extends to you. Today, you may actually feel like one of those sneeches in the Dr. Seuss story that doesn't have a star on your belly. You feel like the gospel is, you're, you're too different, or you're too weird, or you're too less than the people around you for the gospel to actually make a difference in your life today. But the great news that we see in Acts chapter 10, and is for you today, and this resurrection week, is to know that the good news of the gospel is that no matter who you are or where you come from, the gospel today extends to you as well. Would you pray with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for the truths we see in Acts chapter 10. Please help us to realize that the gospel has extended to all people groups and not just the people that we are close to. And for those that may struggle today to even feel like the gospel has the power to change their lives, I pray for them today that they will be able to talk and see that the only hope they can ever have is by belief and trust in what your son Christ did 
on the cross for their behalf. I pray for the rest of the service that you'll be with everyone here. I pray for communion that we will all be able to remember and dwell upon what you did for us all those years ago when you died on the cross and rose again this resurrection week for us. And I pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.